As John mentioned earlier, we are starting today a four-week kind of preach seminar. What do you call it? Series. Series on marriage. Um, So yeah, Kerry and I are up first. Yep. We're going to be getting into that. Um, Yeah, this really, guys, is is for kind of everybody. If you're married, then hopefully this next four weeks will really enrich your marriage. If you're not married yet, then this is some pretty good advice when you are married. How to do things God's way. That's what we're talking about. And, um, and if you're single here today as well, we prayed for a lot of the young guys earlier on, that, you know, for people who are they're kind of holding out for that partner, God's, they're trusting God to bring along, that really that, that you would kind of know how to go about this thing called marriage, which is, which is massive to God, right? He uh, first first miracle Jesus did was at a wedding. The last thing we read, you know, some of the last things we read about in the book of Revelations is about a wedding feast. And all the way through scripture, we're referred to as the bride of Christ, aren't we? That Jesus is returning for, right? And we're to be ready, aren't we? For his return. Which you could look at the stuff going on in the world at the moment, you could think that's pretty imminent. But um, yeah, just before we do, I Something really weird happened last night, which I am denied to share, but my wife um, keeps encouraging me to be vulnerable. more vulnerable. Um, and it was about like half eight last night, and I was just preparing for the message, and we've got a, quite a bizarre scripture. Well, not bizarre. We're looking at four couples in the Old Testament, and we're looking at their marriages. And the marriage that John gave Kerry and I... I don't know if I should be concerned about, was Jezebel and Ahab, right? Um, But last night as I was prepping this and I was going over my message, this really crazy demonic thing came into the room and it got to the stage that I could hardly, I I actually struggled to pray it off. It was so tangible and so dark uh, that I, I know that when those things happen, and they're very real things which happen, the thing to do is to warfare against them. But it was almost overpowering. I don't think I've ever experienced it so dark and so oppressive before I preached. In fact, I nearly, I said to Kerry, I'm going to phone John and say, you'll have to find someone else to preach. <laughs> She's like, you cannot do that to John at, this, <laughs> at nine o'clock at night. But, just, but these things are so real, right? Because the word says that we think our fight is against flesh and blood, right? But the Bible says to us, our fight isn't against flesh and blood, it's against what? Powers and principalities. Yeah? The unseen realm. The supernatural realm. So, when it, we, so Kerry and I, I was telling Kerry what's going on and we prayed and, I, and we literally, we must have prayed and worshipped for about three quarters of an hour before this thing lifted. And when it lifted, I said to the Lord, what, what was that? I mean, I know it was a demonic thing, but what was it? And as clear as day, the Holy Spirit said to me, that, that was the spirit of Jezebel. And that thing is causing destruction in Christian marriages, in biblical marriages, in our congregation and across the country. And I, I, would, I would up the game as far to say that that principality and power, Jezebel, is a serious thing at play in our nation. Because more and more, I think we can agree that the biblical Christian marriage is coming under some serious attack, right? 
the culture that we're living in now is, no, this isn't just the way it is. But it is the way God said it is. So I just thought, if it's all right with you guys, and I know it's not the usual, if we could maybe as a congregation, we could just warfare a little together. Is that all right? Are you good for that? So can I ask you to stand? So yeah. Let's just, if you pray in tongues, can I just encourage you? Can you just pray in tongues with me? And if you don't pray in tongues, you can just petition God. But Father, we are bringing to you this morning our marriages. We are bringing before you our children, Father. And we are coming against that principality and power of Jezebel. We know that accompanies that rebellion is witchcraft. And these things bring destruction and devastation in relationships, in community. They break down marriage. They rise up against children. Father, so we command. We don't, we don't ask. We command that spirit of witchcraft, that spirit of Jezebel, that strongman, to come off the marriages of this congregation and family. And the people that are in the room, the who they represent, the families they represent, Father, would you lift warfare on their behalf, Father, that you'd bring healing to marriage. Healing, Father. Would you strengthen? We know you, you talk about how blessed it is to have a good wife and a good marriage, Father. How, how we know that a result of that is it blesses our children. So we command that demonic entity off the marriages, off the relationships and out of the homes of these people, of this family, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we remind you, Satan, that the blood of Jesus Christ is against you, against your works, against your powers, and against your principalities. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good job. Thank you. Take your seat. So yeah, I'm. Um, I think I'll just start with uh, before I hand over to Kerry, and she's going to address the passage of scripture regarding Ahab and Jezebel. But we're just going to put up the scripture first. At the very beginning in Genesis, the very beginning. Just after God had created Eve, um, God said this, and he's talking about marriage, and he said, for this reason, and this is, this is God's outline, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, which is which if you try and get your head around the scripture there, that's quite a bizarre thing to say that two people become one, isn't it? I was reminded when I was just prepping the message of, you know, Nicodemus, that the, uh, the famous rabbi in Israel came to, came to Jesus in the night and asked him, he wanted to ask him, you know, you, Jesus has been going around and he's been talking about being born again and, and he knew the teachers of the law were pretty much against Christ. And so he came to Jesus in the night and he says, you know, what, what's, how, you know how does someone get born again? I mean, what, yeah, how you can't enter back into your mother's womb. I mean, what's that about? And Jesus explained the spiritual nature of it to him. And, and it's very similar. I want to say very similar. 
with the, with the whole coming together as one flesh. But this is what God says. He's, he's, a man's going to leave his family, and a wife is going to leave her family, and they're going to come together, and they're going to become one flesh. And this is God's plan for marriage. This is God's biblical plan outlined for marriage. That's it. And I know our culture at the moment might, uh, might very much argue that, but that's, I'm going with what God says over culture. So I think if we let culture start to dictate how we live our lives, we're going to be in trouble, right? <laughs> Aren't we? One flesh. It's a supernatural thing to be one flesh. It's a supernatural thing. And this is why I think the, 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 the number one teacher, when Kerry and I years ago, 20 years ago, whatever it was, when we were the youth leaders at a church in South Africa, we taught them this illustration about relationships, and they're talking about one day when they're married. And I remember the guys used to talk about this little triangle, and you had your, your wife and your husband at the bottom of the triangle, and at the top of the triangle is God. And as you traveled closer to God, you became closer to each other, right? That God's at the center of a healthy Christian biblical marriage. Because when God's at the center of the marriage, it's not about what I want or my wife wants. It's not about my way or her way. It's about God's way. Because we're secure in the fact that God knows best, right? We think sometimes we might know best. But God knows best, right, Lee? God knows best. (coughs) Thanks, so that coming together as a one flesh, it's a supernatural thing. To have this amazing marriage with God at the midst is a supernatural thing. So to attain a godly, good, godly, thriving, biblical marriage in a supernatural way as one flesh, aside from a supernatural God, I think is almost impossible. I don't know how people do life without God. I certainly don't know how, how they do life, how they do marriage. I don't know how Kerry's married to me without God, right? Just saying, we've been married 26 years this year. 26 years. (laughs) My kid's about to run up and give her a medal, I think. (laughs) I'm I'm a little little embarrassed, but we've just been real. But, I mean, Kerry, at times, um, I'd say she treats me like God. Most evenings, I get burnt offerings before me. Anyway, to the scriptures. To the scriptures. Right, so the piece of scripture that um, John has given us to read about Ahab and Jezebel is in 1 Kings 21, 2 to 7. But before I start reading, Lance and I are acutely aware that marriage can be quite a sensitive topic because everybody could be in different stages. Some of you could be in a really happy place in your marriage and you're thriving. Others of you could be in a really hard place in your marriage. So you come to church today and maybe this message feels a bit raw for you. Others of you, your marriages haven't worked out and it's ended in divorce. And then that's really painful. But what Lance and I share today, please let your hearts be open to what God wants to speak to you today. Whatever season you are in your marriage and whatever the journey is. That was just on my heart to say that. So, right, so we're looking at Ahab and Jezebel. So Lance and I have been given the, what is an unhealthy marriage? So, as the slides are up, yeah. So Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard so that I may have it for a garden of vegetables and herbs because it is near my house. 
I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if you prefer, I will give you what it's worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab, already upset by the Lord's message, came into his house feeling more resentful and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned his face away, away his face and would not eat any food. Then Jezebel, his wife, came in and asked him, Why is your spirit so troubled that you have not eaten? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or, if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard for it. But he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you not reign over Israel? Get up, eat food, let your heart rejoice. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezelite. So what I do in my life group, when we take a piece of scripture, we call it Peshot. We just, mean, we just look at the surface level and we glean just what the scripture is telling us from that surface level. So here, I'm going to look at Ahab. So there's one, two, there's three things that we learn about from this text about Ahab. Number one, that he covets. Number two, he's passive. And number three, he doesn't stand up for the things of God. Now, this morning when I woke up at five o'clock, I had a picture of... um, Lance, sorry, you're going to have to do this whole thing again. So I had this picture that one of the characteristics of Ahab is it causes you to be passive and to stand and like not stand up and walk in your authority or lead like God wants you to. And I had a picture for you men in the church of your shoulders humped forwards Okay, And I felt today God saying he wants you to posture yourself. He wants you to stand up, put your shoulders back, lift up your head. It's time to take a stand and posture yourself and lead how God has ordained you to lead in your marriage. Because when passivity comes in, that led Ahab not to lead in um, the things of the Lord. He let his wife come in and completely influence him to the extent that um, idolatry ran amok through the whole of Israel. We drop into a point in history where Israel has been split up into two kingdoms after the reign of Solomon. And Ahab is the eighth king to reign. But it said Ahab did more evil in the Lord's sight than any other king. So, yeah, so with that passivity, he, was, he walked in passivity with his wife, married this foreign wife, invited her into his home. He didn't instruct her in the ways of the Lord. He let her influence Baal worship throughout the whole of the land. He didn't stand up for the things of God. When he went to Naboth, he wasn't, and Naboth said, I will not give you my land. He wasn't being rude. Naboth was responding to a Mosaic law that said, when you inherit ancestral land, you don't pass it from one tribe to another. So he wasn't being rude or disrespectful. But Ahab was used to, being get, used to getting what he wanted. And so he just retreated and sulked. It is time to stand up. You need to lead in your home and teach your children and your families the things of God. That's where it starts. If we don't start there, then we're not going to be leading out in the workplace where God is calling us to share the gospel and lead out into the world. With that... Ahab is also tolerant. So Jezebel comes in and says, like, what's going on? Are you just not the king? 
and then she says that she's going to go off and sort out the problem. Now, Ahab's tolerance, so that's another characteristic of Ahab, is that he doesn't stand up to the things of his wife. He doesn't say, you know what, that's not your job to do, leave it to me. He just says nothing and lets her go. So those are three things there to pull out. Oh, actually, the one I did forget to mention is covetousness. This is actually quite a key thing. So we learn from the text that Ahab has got two palaces, he's got his, and he's at the moment residing in his winter palace. And as if not having two palaces is enough, he then looks at the vineyard of Naboth and thinks, I really desire that. And he obviously gets really upset when he doesn't get it. But the thing is, when we start to look at what other people have and we don't have it and we cover it, that puts us into a real place of discontentment and that's not where God wants us to sit. If we start looking like, oh, that person's got a better car, that person's got a better marriage, look how well they get on, we don't get on that well, then we start, instead of keeping our eyes on the Lord, we're looking down and then we sit in that place of discontentment and that's not where God wants us to be. So those are just a few things there to pull out about Ahab. Now, if we look at Jezebel, two things we can say about Jezebel is that she is controlling and that she is belittling. And wives, we are not called to try and control our husband. It's not about power, it's about position, and there's a position that we sit within marriage. So Lance and I have have this thing in our marriage where if we are looking at making a decision, or say, for instance, I feel God says something to me, and I go to Lance, and Lance disagrees, then my trust is in God, not in Lance. So I turn around, and I go, and I pray to God that he will change Lance's heart, that if what I'm sensing is correct, he'll speak to Lance and change Lance's mind. If he doesn't, then I know that I didn't hear from God, and we move on. But nine times out of ten, you do change your heart. (laughs) Just have to say. But that is, but I don't need... It's a sneaky move. Sneaky move. (laughs) But the whole point is, Lance and I don't have to go head to head. I don't need to force Lance to do anything because my trust is in God, not in Lance. Okay, the next thing, which is really important, is Jezebel belittles. She says to her husband, really, king of Israel, you couldn't pull that off? Loser. Now, the thing is, women, we are called to encourage our husbands, okay? Jezebel will make a strong person weaker and a weak person weaker by belittling and character assassinating with her words, okay? My heart as a wife for Lance is to see Lance fulfill everything that God has got for him, okay? And I do that by encouraging him, by speaking life over him, and... One of the things when we first got married, God said to me to wait on a word for Lance, like a prophetic picture for what God has called this man to do. And God gave me a picture. And that is something that I pray over Lance because the best place for me to be is when my husband is fulfilling what God has called him to do. And my role as a wife is to help him to fulfill what God has got him to do. One of the other books that has probably been the most influential in my life, apart from the Bible, is a book called The Power of a Praying Wife. So when I see Lance struggling and the enemy is coming against his mind, I go to my prayer that says to pray for his mind, and I pray that over him. If I see that we're struggling in our finances, my trust isn't in Lance for finances, it's in God. So I go and pray for him out of my book. Whatever, wherever I see we're struggling, that is my go-to and one of the foundations for our marriage. 
And I highly recommend ladies to get that book. Let me just see where we are. But, okay, so those are just a few things that we can pull out from the text. But what's really interesting here is if you pull up, I think it's slide four, okay, I'm going to read from 1 Kings 21, 17 to 19, which says, yeah, it's up there. Right. The word of the Lord came to Elisha the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord. Have you murdered? I want you to just note that. Have you, Ahab, murdered and also taken possession of the victim's property? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, dogs will lick up your blood as well. Ahab was completely passive and tolerant. He didn't go and commit the murder of Naboth. He sulked in bed while his wife went off and made a plan. It was Jezebel that went and murdered Naboth. But who does God attribute the blame to? Exactly. God attributes the actions of Jezebel to Ahab. So what this tells us is that there's an order in marriage. Yes, there is an order. So, um, and I think, I think the, the order that God put in the scriptures, which I'll talk about in a minute, again, in our, in our kind of culture, in our maybe, well, I wouldn't just say it's in England, in pretty much in the world now, is a lot of, we have to remember a lot of God's principles, statutes, orders, how, how we do things are very different. And I, I've seen, and I think this is a key thing, what, what, just what was, Kerry was touching on, is when you hear about wives submitting, we're all of a sudden like, well, hold on a minute, we don't have to submit to anyone, right? Because why, why would we? But we submit to God, right? We submitted our lives to Christ. That's why we're Jesus followers. And the reason we submitted to Christ was because we came, everyone who had, came to the revelation that life's better doing it God's way, right? Isn't it? And so what we're saying is, and I'll put this to you, I would suggest that marriage is way better doing it God's way too. The alternative is what? God's way is going to always come out trumps. Let's just quickly look at the scripture. Now this is, this is God's order. It's a popular scripture. That's why you hear it often. It's in Ephesians 5, 22 to 25. And funny, we were just reading this earlier, in the earlier service. And one of the ladies just came to me at the end after we had a bit of time of prayer. And she says, I'm so, she's one of the life group leaders in the church. And she said, we have just had the most heated uh, debate, let's call it, in life group this week that people nearly came to blows. The ladies, as the ladies in the group, nearly came to fisticuffs. Well, probably not that bad. But she was... That's what she said. That well, they were talking about this very thing about do wives have to submit to husbands? And, and then the argument came about that, well, that was in those days, but nowadays things have changed, right? Or wrong? Or right? Ooh, what are we saying? <laughs> God's ways are the same today. They're the same yesterday. And they're the same tomorrow. That's what the word tells us, right? 
that the plans that God has set out from the very beginning in Genesis, and then you go a few thousand years later, and here we are in Ephesians. God didn't say, well, the culture 3,000 years ago was, was different then, so now we're going to change it. Now, no, no, we see that 3,000 odd years on in Ephesians, we're saying the same thing. And the same applies today. God doesn't change. Community might change. Culture might change. Governments change. But God doesn't change. So it says this. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as a service, as a service to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, himself being the saviour of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. I just want to highlight this. When, it, when, it, when the scriptures say respect, this is in the Amplified, it's expanding. When it says respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house, it's really important to note that what we're talking about, it's not a domineering, controlling, I'm, I'm some uh, manipulative husband who wants my own way, so now you need to submit. No. It's not about power, it's about position. And when we read it in the scriptures, that's exactly what it says. It's not about power, it's about position. You be the woman of God that you're called to be, and I'll be the man of God that I'm called to be, or will try to be, right? That I'm called to be a man in the home, and Kerry's called to be a woman of the home. And the conflict often we see, and we see it in the whole text with Jezebel and Ahab is, Jezebel isn't happy not to be head of the home. In fact, Jezebel wants her own way, and she's going to do whatever she needs to do to get her own way. Manipulate, belittle, break down, whatever. But the whole thing's out of whack. And as a result of all oh, you can read for yourselves at home, it's disastrous. Back to the scripture. But it's a position thing, right? We're not talking, we're not saying, I'm not saying, because I'll be in big trouble. I'm not saying, wives, Submit your husband, you know, as, as regards to a, a, a power thing, it's a purely a position thing. Because the best place for my wife is in the position God's called her to be, right? Would you agree? And the best place for me is in the position God's called me to be. And I would go on to say the best place for our children is when we're functioning in the positions God placed us in, and for their children, and for their children. That's why the scriptures talk about the minute that a couple comes to Christ and they start doing things God's way, it brings how many years of blessing on the, on the generations? That's right. So let's get back to scripture. Do you want to add something? No, I'm just saying that we are short on time. Yeah. Colossians, Ephesians. Respecting, okay, here we go. So this is just back up one. There we go. Respecting both the positions, protector and the responsibility of God as head of the house. Husbands, here's the husbands bit. Okay, everyone's gone quiet now. Okay, <laughs> bear with me. We're getting onto the husbands, right? There's a few ladies nutting the husband. Though, what are you talking about? <laughs> Respecting both the position, husbands, love your wives. 
Seek the highest good for her and surround her with caring, unselfish love. Unselfish love. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what we're called to do, guys. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with caring, unselfish love. Can I have the next scripture? It says the same in Colossians. Slightly different. But here now we see, and I said to my kids, I put it on our little, I was studying this up. And it talks about if you want to enter the fullness and the promises of God, it says it here. It says, wives, be subject to your husbands out of respect for their position that God's put them in as protector and their accountability to God. As it's proper and fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives with an affectionate, sympathetic, selfless love that always seeks the best for them and do not be embittered or resentful toward them because of the responsibilities of marriage. And it says this, Children, obey your parents as God's representatives in all things. For this attitude of respect and obedience is well-pleasing to the Lord. My daughter's smiling at me. And will bring you into, bring you God's promised blessings. This is the order. This is it laid out. This is, this is, this is God's plan for marriage. This is the biblical plan for marriage. This leads to God's blessing. This leads to uh, an enriched marriage. We, um, we were listening to, um, yeah, I'm going to do that. We were listening to uh, Francis Chan um, this week. He did a marriage seminar. And um, it was really cool for me because he, he used the scripture and he said, and it's in Matthew 6.33, and this was their kind of overarching scripture for them as a married couple. And it's when Jesus says this, and he's talking about marriage, and he, and he called his seminar marriage on a mission. He said, because if you're married, you're one flesh and you're on a mission together. For the next 70, 80 years you've got on this planet, you're on a mission as one flesh with your wife. And in Matthew 6.33, it says this, first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Jesus is saying, first go after me, first go after my ways, first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And, and Francis was explaining to the church there that through the obedience and seeking of Jesus in all things in the marriage, all the other things that typically in marriage we'd concern ourselves with, Jesus says, you don't need to worry about those things. You just need to seek my kingdom. And in seeking me and my kingdom, my governance, all the things that you would normally, what the, the non-Jesus seeking people would worry about, you don't have to worry about because I'm promising you, when you go after me first, I'll take care of the rest. That's a great place to live from, right? And you're wondering why I've got two planks in my hand is the Jewish rabbis in Jesus' day, and still, teach the success to marriages like two planks. And the two planks are representative of the husband and wife, right? And they're there to support each other and hold each other up. It collapsed the first time I did it. Not one lording it over the other. But through supporting one another in a godly way with godly principles... The marriage works, works the best it could work. Amen?